So we're on our uh, third message of our series, Whole Life, Whole Bible, and the simple title of this message is And God. Um, kind of works with the main title, Whole Life, Whole Bible, and God, but that's not what that's meant to be. Uh, it's actually, this message today is about putting God first in our understanding. So in this section, uh, I believe there's about three, uh, there is about three sessions, three messages where we talk about creation. Uh, so there is a methodical approach through the Bible, so we're going to, uh, in three messages, look at creation and the different aspects of it over these next three weeks. And how important this creation story is uh, in the context of how it should drive our worldview. Um, how very good it is that God did what he did, and then our responsibility within it. Uh, what we'll learn today is how we must keep refocusing our worship back onto God, creator of the universe and trust in him, that we must look at the creation story, not isolated to or building up to humans being created. We like being centre of a story, don't we? And so that, that's where we, we sometimes want to put ourselves in there. We're waiting for the moment where God mentions us or talks about, about us and then the, the sacrifice he made for us. Not bad in itself, but we need to make sure that God is really at the centre of that story. So we need to understand the wider context of the creation story, that God was first and is first in our biblical account as well as our faith. That without him, nothing would be possible. Nothing would be possible. So let's look at the two verses we'll use today. We'll look at um, the beginning and the end of creation. Verse 1, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. There's like a really quick version of the creation story. Uh, verse 1, Genesis in Genesis 1. Verse 4 in Genesis 2. Uh, but we'll go into the verses as we go through. But really just to give us this idea that uh, God is, has done all these things. He is the root, the foundation, the, the God that created everything. The fact that we can be here today is because of God's creation, spoken word, spoken life into life, as it were. But maybe to first help us understand uh, this principle of of without God, nothing would be possible. How do we understand that? Because when we look at creation, it's such a, a vast subject. It's such a big thing to understand and to take in and what God's doing in that moment. We couldn't possibly imagine that creation, as, he, as it's described in Genesis, enough in a way that would ever give it uh, any sort of um, uh, credit, I suppose, any, any sort of way that we could really understand but maybe we could understand in a smaller way just how we as humans get caught up in our own achievements. Uh, this sense of, uh, well, actually without God, my achievements would amount to nothing. Actually, I wouldn't be able to do anything without God's creation. And maybe we look at the worship of that. And I was thinking, maybe throughout our lives, we can probably think of moments where we've been involved in something where we felt we were quite integral to something. But we were quite key to something being successful. A thing, an event, uh, a job, a project, whatever you want to call it. Where we believe that without our presence in that situation, things would not have turned out as well. And naturally that's what we do. We think, actually, this is my part, because we want to feel 
valued. We want to feel like we contribute something. And I can think of many moments uh, of work, at work where I can say, I really made an impact in that situation. One job in my career, I can say, I was headhunted for. How much, how much arrogance can that give you? Well, they must think I'm pretty good at what I do. Look at me, I've been headhunted. I can say that job didn't have any particular structure. It didn't do anything in terms of its role. It had someone working in it. It was temporary. It was a contractor. It wasn't really bothered about the bigger picture of that team. And on my arrival and placement in that job, it changed how that team and role was perceived by everyone in that organisation. Puffing up. So important. I must be so important. And then I trained someone else and then that team got bigger and and people started taking it seriously and people started asking me for advice. Do you understand what's going on here? There's this feeding in of puffing up and of people suddenly think, oh, you're really important here. The problem is it can make us feel like we're the centre of the universe. It makes us feel like we're so important that maybe we're more important than other people, maybe even God. And I can admit to you today, and maybe... Um, Maybe a, uh, I don't know what, a confession that on my CV that I put, uh, I've been headhunted for one of these roles. But if you've, worked, if you've been in the world of work, you know that you have to talk about your achievements. It's the strangest thing of being a Christian is talking about your achievements, but being humble in talking about your achievements. It's like counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. God says, be humble. You must be humble. But on my CV, I've got to talk about how great I am and how good I am at my job. It doesn't make sense. But in a way, it does make sense because getting a job is part of the world, isn't it? And the world values achievement. The world values your own personal desire to want to be counted and to feel valued. So it does sort of make sense that the world works that way. It works on this basis that you must trumpeting your achievements and say how good you are and this is why I'm worthy of this job. But hopefully, as Christians, we're influenced by our faith and so we try to put it maybe a bit more humbly, maybe a bit more in the background. Yes, we have to say the achievements, but maybe we just don't brag about those achievements. There's ways to do these things. But here's the risk. If I don't keep checking myself in these things, if I don't keep thinking, actually, without God, I could have not achieved where I am today. I could have not done these things. could not be the person I am today because of God. Then there's still that voice inside that craves, that speaks from the flesh, tries to do a serpent number on us and says, didn't you do this? Didn't you achieve this alone? Why do you need God? You're good enough. You're really good at what you do. This can so easily happen, not just in jobs, in just the day-to-day of our lives. We can get so caught up in the successes of who we are and then that self-worship starts to maybe kick in a little bit. Maybe we don't know it, maybe we don't realise it. But in order to refocus back on the Creator God and the principle that without Him his grace and His grace nothing is possible, we can look at the creation story and see the first four words of the account. 
in the beginning, God. Now, I've seen many sermons based on these four words, in the beginning, God. And just to tell you right away, it's the same theme every time, because there is no other theme in these four words. It is all about God. In the beginning, God. So we need to first acknowledge that God, who creates, who holds together, rules the universe, is a reminder that God's God provides a very basis on which we can understand our place within the universe. The creation story in Genesis 1 is not a story of violent creation. Quite a beautiful story of gentleness, of God bringing in all the elements of creation. It's interesting, uh, and I, I don't dispute, I'm not, in, I'm not here to dispute whether you believe in the scientific or the scientific version or the, the, the literal creation or in the Bible, whatever. Uh, here I'm not saying that's crucial. What I am saying is crucial is that we believe that God created everything. Otherwise we get tied up in silly things. We get tied up in silly disputes that don't mean anything to any of us. Uh, and all we do is, like I mentioned before, we puff ourselves up in knowledge. I've got an argument for that. I've got an argument for this. But it's not a story of violent creation. Instead, it's a story of how God created everything through his very character, through wisdom, love, and by the very words he spoke. Creation in the Bible is a picture of a God that does. It's a picture of a God that takes action. He creates, he speaks, he sees, he names, he separates, he rules, he delights, he blesses, he rests. He does stuff. Good stuff. Sorry, very good stuff. But what we get is this picture of the God who is not aloof and creating from afar. He's not this person who's, who's just tinkering with different things and yet has no part of what goes on in his creation. The God who himself is woven into the very thing he created. God who is life-giving and life-sustaining. A life-sustaining God. And this is not a story of random and lucky events that happen to come together at the right moment, providing the right environment for every living thing. Christians, and certainly uh, literal uh, creation Christians, will say, that's wrong. Christians who believe in the literal creation, as in the Bible, will quote, certainly, the, the statistics that is required in order for life to function within the universe. And I can't remember the number, but I know it's millions and millions and millions to one. It's a huge number. It's the fact that if one rock, in the scientific view, mishit another rock, life would not have been created. It's, it's down to those measurements. And yet, I st when I see this on TV, I still can't believe that there are scientists that say, I don't believe there's a creator. Oh, but you're, you're looking at creation right there. I don't condemn them, it's, it's just, oh, you, you're nearly there. One more step, and you can see the creator God. But it's not a, a string of events of random luck. This is a story of a God who's a master craftsman, who has created a very carefully moulded universe. Proverbs 8, if you read Proverbs 8, is this amazing uh, description of God's wisdom in the story of creation. 
And from verse 22, it tells us how God's characteristic of wisdom is part of how God makes the world, designing, measuring, setting boundaries. It's the, from t- verse 22, uh, it's just this amazing, intricate picture of how God designed the universe. And just so, uh, whilst we talk about uh, this morning unification and unifying with uh, other Christians, um, Proverbs 8 is a um, debatable one between Christians of one sort and another, between Christians who are Jehovah Witnesses uh, and Christians of other types. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses believe that Proverbs 8 is about Jesus. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we, because that's entirely up to you, uh, but Proverbs 8 actually talks about a wisdom, a characteristic of who God is. It doesn't talk about Jesus. It could be part of Jesus because he is God. But when we look at Proverbs 8, it's actually a characteristic of God before he created the universe. But it's an amazing thing to read. I think I've never really stopped over Proverbs 8. And it talks about she is this, she is that. It's, just, it's wonderful language to use in describing a characteristic of God. And we talk about our own characteristics and yet we, we kind of go, oh, he's got a great sense of humour and she's quite funny and he's gentle and he's nice and she's this and he's that. And it's like a whole chapter dedicated to one characteristic of God, wisdom. And it's just this amazing story, this amazing retelling of who God is in his wisdom. And so wisdom is this standard by which God crafts the world into existence not by luck. This is important because if we acknowledge that God created and is woven into his creation, then we can see and believe who God is and what we are told in the last verse of our reading. The Lord God says this, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And it's interesting, if you read uh, every single verse before this, it just says God. It doesn't say Lord God. It said God said this, God blessed that, God created this, and then we get to Lord God, the change in emphasis. The timing of this statement of God being the Lord God comes just before Adam and Eve. And I love when you really look at it, I love this fact that the word just shows visible, very obvious things, and then there's an invisible aspect to it. Lord God sets up this principle that since creation was from him, and he created it as God, because of him and that he was in it as God, that after he finished, creation would worship him. Creation, uh, God is their Lord. Very clever. It's not random. It's not just put together or thrown in a book. There's a very specific purpose to why these words are set out in the way they are. Suddenly, God is the Lord God, although He's always the Lord God, but now there's creation to worship Him. So now creation says, You are Lord, Yahweh. You are Lord. God gives life to creation, and creation makes God its Lord as it now has an inbuilt ability through creation to live and worship. It now has a, a, an ability to worship. Now us as a creation, as God's creation, 
have an ability to worship because God's built that into us. It doesn't mean we worship God, though. It doesn't mean it's automatic. So we choose to worship God, or we choose not to, or we choose to worship something else or idolise something else. God's intricate desire would mean that creation itself, human or not, would even know its maker. For Jesus, when the Pharisees wanted his followers to be quiet, Jesus said to them uh, in... That's not God, the name. Jesus said to them in Luke 19, verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's not to diminish our part in God's plan to evangelize and share the good news, but the point to a principle that even they did not, even if his followers didn't speak about him, creation would speak. So when we say things like, it's true irrespective of what anyone says, that the Bible is true, Jesus says this very thing. He says it's true regardless if they keep quiet or not. I'm the Messiah regardless of whether they don't say it or not. It is true. So God doesn't need people to be God. Does that make sense? He is God regardless of what anyone ever says, whether that's for him or against him. It would still be true that anything is only possible because God made it so. Because it says here in Colossians 1, verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything we can see and cannot see is for his glory. So what I started with is this principle that we so often make life about ourselves, even our faith, to a certain degree, is about ourselves, because God has allowed that to happen. But we make it sometimes too much about ourselves, in how good we've been or, or, or the good we've done. What we end up with is that all things in God's creations are created through him and for him. So we move away from this principle of, of too much of us. We move away from not about us, but about God. And when we're singing that song about me, don't like me songs, does trouble me a lot, but, I, I like, but the spirit of it is that we're not doing it because we're so good. We're doing it because of an outpouring of that uh, thankfulness. A holy God who is perfect, who sits in the kingdom of heaven, said, you're right. I want you to come. I want you to come and join me. Thank you for saving me. Moving away from the, the selfish worship of me, I, me, I. Moving into... You, God, you, Lord, you, Jesus, you, Holy Spirit. He rules, he judges, he forgives, he loves, he creates. And so I want to leave you with this last important point to think about. How can we make sure we keep coming back to a God-centered worship throughout our lives and make our lives live for his glory? How do we do that? 
In our reading in uh, Genesis, of Genesis 1, we see this moment where in amongst what is already amazing, God creates mankind as part of his amazing creation story. But what God does in this moment is something different from the rest of creation. He says this in Genesis 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. He didn't say that about other things in creation. He didn't say plants, trees, the sea, the earth are in my image. Specifically called out is that we are made in his own image. Now let's be clear, and I think you already know this, I'm clearly not saying that we are God. Clearly. What this is pointing to is that God purposefully and intentionally created us to reflect him. Not be him, reflect him. This is no accident. Whilst all creation worships and praises his name, uh, even if we don't, when we praise and worship his name, it comes from a unique part of God's creation that's been given a privilege of reflecting him because we've been made to reflect him. The stones can cry out, but the stones can't reflect him. We reflect him because Jesus, who died on the cross as a human being, reflects a struggle that we, not as much, but we will go through to some degree or another. The stones cannot ever know, animals cannot ever know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So God gives us this awareness of the pain, this sense of he died as a human but as God. So much different from the rest of creation. But if we refuse to do that, if we refuse to speak about Jesus, refuse to reflect him as the creation he has created us to be, then it's simply not a case that stones will praise him to his glory. It will be to our shame that the stones praise him to his glory where we don't. Jesus was not saying in that moment, it's all right, if they don't praise, the stones will praise. Creation will praise my name. He's not saying that's okay, that's a thing we're okay with. If you don't say anything, it's, it's all right. Actually, probably the rest of Scripture completely goes against that anyway, that principle, that idea that he meant that it's okay to be, stay quiet, it's okay not to be a messenger of the gospel. Actually, we are called to share the gospel with people we encounter. We must recognise that whilst all of creation glorifies God, we humans are the only ones given the privilege of actually glorifying him by being made in his image and likeness. No other thing in his creation can know what it's like to be made in his image. And there's like a whole series of sermons you could do just on this one verse of the likeness, because you have to dispel all these, these silliness that people might think and have thought in the past that that makes us gods, that somehow we are God. And you might think that's weird, but it's actually true that some people think that this verse points to that. 
And it, it's just a sign of the times that that happens. But that sense we come back to, as I said at the start, that we want to, as humans, puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel really self-important. And there's another verse, which I can't quite remember now, later on in the Bible, that also speaks of uh, us being gods, in quotes. And people use that to say, oh, he made us gods. No, he didn't. The reason why I tell you this is not to go and argue and debate with people. It's because we need to be sure and firm in our faith. We need to be sure and firm in the truth of creation. Do I trust in the Lord that his creation, his plan, is trustworthy? In recognising that we have this amazing privilege, here is what should happen. In order to not get a human godlike superiority complex about the way in which God has made humans unique in his creation, we need to remember this. We can only glorify him and speak of him because he has made it possible through the gift of life in creation and now also through the cross. So that you're suddenly hit a moment as a Christian, I would say, because I've hit many of these moments, where something feels like you, you've, you've done well, you've achieved something. But as a Christian, Holy Spirit suddenly goes, whoa, you better calm down a little bit. <laughs> Without your Father in heaven, what you've just achieved there meant nothing. Through Jesus Christ offering salvation and a way to redemption, our lives are now sustained through the grace and power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So to be first, we must be last. In order for God to be greater, we must become less. Ah, totally paradoxical, doesn't make sense. I must go and profess the kingdom with power through the Holy Spirit and tell people about God. But don't you get all uppity about it. Because it's not you doing it, it's the Holy Spirit. You must become less in sharing the gospel so people don't look to you and to me as gods. We are merely messengers of the gospel who come in as much humility as we can do in this life to come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that everything points back to him and not to us. Whilst we are set apart to do something greater, we are not greater than God because of it. And so instead we stand in awe. We stand in trembling, in fear of this amazing gift of creation. That through grace and salvation, today we have this privilege of reflecting our holy creator God, who is Lord God of all. There's nothing wrong with going back to these creation verses and going, where did it all begin? Because it doesn't actually diminish us. What it tells us is our place in God's story. It tells us where God is placing us. It tells us what he's getting us ready for. So when you get that sense of pride, just nipping at you, feeling very good about what you've just achieved. and Not that that's wrong, but when it overrides and suddenly it's 
because I'm pretty good at what I do. Just take a breath. Stand back. Lord, and you're going to struggle. We're all going to struggle with this forevermore. The struggle of pride in our own work. But the privilege comes in reflecting our holy Lord in heaven who says, you are a reflection of me. We don't deserve to be, but we are. Come to Christ, forgiveness of sin. We are a reflection of God. Let's pray. And we're going to sing a song after this. I thought we won't do a verse today. We're going to sing a song together. And I think it just it's just appropriate. I, I just saw it and I thought, I think it's quite an old song. But I just love the words to it. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we want to honour you as number one above ourselves, uh, above anything else that we might have idolised, we might have put in place of you at times. And Lord, we want to put you at number one. We want to put you in the right place uh, that you belong in our lives. And Lord, so we thank you today that we have, that you have provided grace by which we can keep coming back to and learning from our errors and our mistakes that we can be forgiven, not just to be forgiven, but to learn and to become more like Christ every day. In every error and every mistake, Lord, I pray that we'll bring those to you so that we may learn from you how we are to grow in that. Lord, we thank you that every challenge is a lesson, that every challenge is you teaching us, sharpening us, in how to be more Christ-like and to be more like disciples that you want us to be. We thank you, Lord, indeed, that you have saved us. But not just because of us or because of us at all, but because of who you are. Because of your mission that you've laid out to the whole world. So come follow me. And Lord, we want to follow you. We want to be messengers of the gospel that will bring many to you. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that we encounter such moments this week that we'll see your glory at work, that will put you ahead of any words that we're about to say to people, any interactions that are about to happen. Lord, may you be at the forefront of our minds. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and discerns, comes and gives us revelation. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Amen.